is a box, a musical box, wound up and ready to play. Can you guess what is in it today? Well, hello, everyone. Everyone listening, hello. And you are so welcome to join us here on Box 39, which is the treasure chest of magazine music and the funny side of life rooted in our community, as always here on 106.6 FM Colm Radio. I'm Bill Lawrence, and I'm joined by some regulars here. There's Mr. Ian Tallentire sitting in front of me. With Evening, his, Bill. With his hairpiece just glinting in the moonlight. And to my left, Mike Harwood, surrounded by uh, his old unused credit cards and some that have been used rather too much. This is a good evening for me. And, of course, we've got Adrian down there on the third floor of Comradio Towers in the Music Library. And we are also joined by many other people this week in our own community that is, has boundaries only where the world wide web won't go. And so we'd like to welcome tonight several listeners who've said they'll be joining us. There's Mango Dread from Shrub End, and he has written in to say he's just completed his first five-kilometre run last weekend with his grandson, Teddy. Well done, Mango. Uh, we're joined by Donna from Norwich, who has also had a very, very successful uh, week where she organised the prize-giving and awards day at the school where she uh, successfully runs the head teacher's life. And a new listener, well, not that new, perhaps she's been listening for a while, but she's she's contacted us, and that's Pamela from Seattle in Washington, USA, where she spent the week saying brilliant as well as awesome. So welcome to all of you to our show tonight. And good evening, everybody. Our show today is all about something that has been a feature of life in Colchester here in North East Essex for about, well, roughly 2,000 years. The Army Garrison, an important military base in Roman times and today, housed in gleaming new buildings, the home of the 2nd and 3rd Parachute Regiments of the British Army, which helped to make up the 16th Air Assault Brigade. And uh, during the course of the show, we'll be finding out more about this complex and ever-changing feature of Colchester. Not only important for the Romans and the 21st century Britain, but an important British stronghold in the Napoleonic and Victorian areas. A critical strategic military base in World War One and throughout the 20th century too. So, come on, put on your best dress uniform, polish those boots, shine your belt buckles, and get ready for the parade as we open Box 39 once more for our Colchester Garrison Show. You're listening to Box... Uh, what is it? 39. Box 39. <laughs> And the Romans were the kings of this castle, at Colchester, the first Roman colony to be set up in Britain. The castle's nearly 2,000 years old, probably the oldest in the country. And among its better preserved remains are the ancient gateway across the moat and the lily pond in the ground. Meat and drink to the antiquarian are St. Martin's Church and the arrow-headed doorway of Holy Trinity. The gateway to the old Benedictine Abbey of St. John's with its four pinnacles has been restored. Unlike the venerable priory of St. Batos, mentioned in the Doomsday Book. Through the gaps in the Roman city walls, you can still see some of the old houses, and the narrow streets are museums of ancient dwellings, some with low wooden balconies over the street. A gem among them is the Angel Inn, with its quaint doorway and fine weather-beaten timbers. Another is the 15th-century siege house, bullet-marked relic of the Royalist day. There's history even in the high street. What is it precisely that's in the box? 
So welcome to our wonderful house band, Ausgang Exit, along with everyone else. And this is one of their latest tunes. This is called Battalion Beef with a hot pepper sauce. Absolutely wonderful. Keep going, boys. We're with you all the way. Now, um, we also join from Ron and Reg from Brightlingsea. Mustn't forget Ron and Reg. Now, with the chosen topic for this programme being Colchester Sir Garrison, uh, which one of you supposedly, and I use that word advisedly, which one of you supposedly well-educated gentlemen, and I use that word even more advisedly, is going to kick things off? Well, I think we should do what we're told in the words of the song, Bill, and that's start at the very beginning. So, Mike, you're the oldest among us, and as such, you'll have a better memory of the Romans. Thank you for that compliment. Whether you're being rude or not, Ian, it is true that Colchester was a very important garrison even then. We need to remember that the city was the capital of the Roman province of Britannia and was the site of a Roman legionary fortress or castrum, the first permanent legionary fortress to be built here in the UK following the invasion of 43 AD. You see, uh, my history brain, and that's quite a, a historical brain, is telling me it was a home to the XEXE legion. Spot, yeah, spot on. Spot the XEXE legion. XEXE. They used to say 20, wasn't it? They used to say, hello, I'm nearly XEXE. <laughs> Didn't they just before they reached 21? I'm not sure that's Latin, Bill, but uh, never uh, mind. Should the we, 20th should we legion. carry on? The 20th Legion. <laughs> okay, I can't um, dispute that. Uh, this is spot on. It's uh, Legio Valeria Victrix. Didn't something um, pretty awful happen to that lot? It's yeah. thought they were annihilated by the dynamic uh, invasion of 406. No, no, I'm sure the legend is they marched into the mist, and didn't they? And they never reappeared. Really? I, I think we should keep on the subject and be aware that ghostly Roman centurions have been seen at Hadrian's Wall, uh, York, Chester, Mersey Island, and on the M6. Really? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, the M6. Mention, well, no, no, it's not important, the M6. It's definitely time to get back to the subject of Colchester Garrison, please. Yeah. Well, we should remember that even before the Romans arrived... Uh, Camula Dunum, that's the one. Camula Dunum. Camula Dunum. Mike, I'd like to point out this is the town you live in, you know. Can you pronounce it properly, please? Camula Dunum. Well, yeah, whatever. <laughs> the Roman neighbourhood. Well, we're off again, folks. The laughter has started already. Appears, no, How do you say it, Mike? Come on. No, no, I, I'm gonna, I, can, I can pronounce coin. Appears on coins and was already a centre of power for the Roman uh, ruler, Canobelin. You've got this on purpose. You've given uh, Mike to say all these words, haven't well, you? Well, there's there's another one. I was doing my best. Yeah, I know on. there's another one coming up. Come on, on crack on, Mike. Uh, I've got the first one. Known to Shakespeare as Cymbeline. Very good. Okay, well done. Thank you. This Celtic name... <laughs> Just tell us what it means, Mike. <laughs> it means the fortress of the war god Camulos. Do you know, I never oh, no. thought I never thought we were going to get there. Yeah, it's um, <laughs> even been suggested by some historians that the legend of Camelot, home to the warrior kings of England under King Arthur, originated here in Colchester. So Colchester is a seat of power, a place where coins were minted and fortified garrison town has been projecting its military power and wealth into the south-east of the country and beyond since the time of... (laughs) (laughs) We're off again. (laughs) This is easy. I think that's Kuna yeah? Bellin. Yeah, that's excellent, right. Mike. Well done. 2,000 years of Colchester, and they still can't say the name of the, the place. Never mind. We'll, uh, we'll give you that as a little homework to do, Mike, and we hope by before the end of this show we're going to test you on that you when you're least expecting it. Do you know what, Mr. Lawrence? I think the first pint might help. <laughs> He's already had that. That's, yeah. that's, that's the problem. Now, let's hear once again, uh, ladies and gentlemen across the world, we're going to hear from Adrian, who's downstairs on the third floor in the Cone Radio Music Library, and we can click through to him and uh, he's going to tell us about our first piece of music tonight.
Right then, well, the general idea on the musicology front this week is to uh, sort of have uh, plays on words, lyrics and the names of songs to do with uh, the garrison in Colchester. And this is the only song I could find, really, that was about a garrison, and it's called The Last Garrison, and it's by Enter Shikari. Until the Napoleonic Wars, there was no recognisable place as the garrison in Colchester since troops were billeted in local houses and pubs. After some grumbling from the locals, new infantry barracks were built in 1794 with additional infantry, cavalry and artillery barracks constructed by 1800. By 1805, 7,000 officers and men were based there. After the war, size was reduced. Much of the former land sold off and eventually Colchester Newtown was built on it. The garrison was again expanded by the mid-1850s for the Crimean War, and Middlewick Farm was bought and converted into training ranges, which are still in use today. Although the French Foreign Legion is more famous, it was at this time that 10,000 men of the British German Legion were billeted at Colchester, 2,000 of them under canvas on Barrack Field. Between 1865 and 1878, the army allowed the Colchester and East Essex Cricket Club to use part of Barrack Field. In 1885, the field was leased to the town as a recreation ground. At the outbreak of war in August 1914, the 8th Cyclist Battalion, Essex Regiment, a territorial unit, was based in Colchester. The Essex Yeomanry, a cavalry regiment, was mobilised at the outbreak of war. The regiment was sent to France in November 1914 as part of the 3rd Cavalry Division. Later, the 2nd and 3rd Line Regiments were raised in Colchester to reinforce the 1st. Essex Battery, Royal Horse Artillery, a territorial unit, was mobilised in Colchester and Chelmsford in 1914. A 2nd Line unit was raised later. Kitchener's Army raised the 12th Eastern Division at Colchester from August 1914 to February 1915. The division moved to France in 1915 and fought in most major battles. September 1939. Colchester was the home of the 4th Infantry Division, comprising four infantry battalions, two Royal Artillery Regiments and an anti-tank regiment. The division deployed to France in 1940 as part of the BEF. Colchester's home defence was provided by local defence volunteers of the 8th Essex Battalion of the Home Guard. Today, the garrison is home to the British Army's 16th Air Assault Brigade. The brigade includes two and three parachute regiments and its three air assault infantry battalions, two aviation regiments, one artillery regiment and supporting units, engineers, signals, logistics and medical.
And now, a little bit about the garrison's sporting connections. As a military base, until fairly recently, inter-service matches in most sports would have been played. But since the reduction in the UK's armed forces, leading to the handing over of nearby RAF Wattisham to the Army Air Corps, such opportunities are few and far between. Given the nature of the forces at the garrison now, and security concerns, the Army's Sports Council has not scheduled any inter-service matches at Colchester in the last six months, and has no plans to in the immediate future. Garrison A Cricket Ground is in Colchester. Essex played 25 first-class matches there between 1924 and 1972. Used by the Colchester Garrison today, the Army play matches there, the last recorded match being in 2008. Clay Pigeon Shooting. The club was established in the early 70s and meet every third Sunday. There are eight stands used for shooting sporting layouts. Colchester Garrison Athletics Stadium. The track is owned by the Army and built in 1932. It is also used by Colchester Harriers Athletic Club. Squash. The Corporal Budd BC Gymnasium, named after a member of 3Para who was killed on active service in Afghanistan, has a six-court complex used by both international players and young Essex players. Colchester Swimming Club Academy. The Academy's aim is to coach young swimmers so they develop their full potential. For those who seek alternatives, life-saving and or junior water polo are offered. Colchester Hockey Club. This is the premier field hockey club in North Essex. All home games now take place on the garrison's AstroTurf pitches. Colchester Garrison Saddle Club. This is a British Horse Society ABRS and Pony Club approved club, providing lessons for adults and children from five years upwards in and around the Essex area. It is a long established military saddle club that also caters to civilian riders. Listening to Box 39, The Wall of Radio Sound, with Bill Lawrence, Adrian Cohen, and Ian Tallentire. back here thank you so much tim uh, that's tim aston providing that uh, on the spot analysis of what's going on at culture's garrison and this is Ausgang exit with their greatest hits and this is one of them and this is called your barracks door is wide open and you'll find that on the camulodulum label mike <laughs> thank you <laughs> now, Ian. Well, we spoke earlier about the fortified town of Colchester becoming a garrison town under the Romans and the projection of military power from here into the countryside beyond. And we can still see evidence of the Roman presence as we walk around our town today. Examples of Roman Colchester. Ah, Mike. Go on, give us some examples of Roman Colchester. Well, when I cast my <laughs> mind back, I'm sure it was when old Boney was causing trouble in Europe. No, 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 uh, no, no. I've no. got some examples of Roman Colchester. Go on. Yeah, yeah. there's, uh, is, is your favourite, Mike? The, the, where the horses run round? What's that called? It's called the uh, circus. Right. The circus. circus. I yeah. love the circus. Can you think of any other example? There's someone's gate. Ole in the wall, mate. Ole in the wall. wall. And what's his name's gate? What's his name? Oh, Duncan. Duncan. My mate, Duncan. Duncan's gate. I'm not sure Duncan is a particularly Latin name, though, is it? No, I think he was called Duncan XX. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> so go on then. Um, a question for you two. When did the town start to develop as a modern garrison town? I think uh, when it was, as Mike said, when uh, when Old Boney was causing trouble in Europe, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. yeah. Old Boney. Who's Old, old Boney? Come Who's on, Old Boney, Mike? Boney. You talked about him. I oh, know about him, yeah. Originally, uh, troops were billeted at inns or houses around Colchester. 
It was only after pressure was brought on by the uh, uh, on the army by the local borough council around 1790 that the first barracks were built. So Napoleon Bonaparte, you're talking about in the Napoleonic Wars, aren't you? It's a long time ago. Emperor yeah. Napoleon. Do you remember those, Mike? I do. Yeah. Well, my uh, grandfather does. He lived for a long time. <laughs> so Colchester was obviously on the east coast by the sea a, a natural place for troops to assemble wasn't it before being shipped across the channel uh, to what we now would refer to as belgium so where in town did this construction happen or did the army use surrounding farmland then bill come on no it's me mike, I, know. Mike knows I, this. I know this one he's an expert. expert well i thought you were the historian anyway come on mike uh, give us an mike, answer mike knows multifaceted me by 1800 infantry cavalry and artillery barracks had all but been built between Wimpole Road, Port Lane and Barrack Street in the area we now call Newtown. Yeah. Yeah. To the east of the town walls and towards the bustling port of the Hyde. So troops and supplies were shipped along the River Colne out towards the sea at Wimbledon. Before the Rosen Crown was built. Ah, okay. Well, you see, I'm a little bit surprised by that because I thought the development of the garrison was a little more recent than that. For some reason, I've always got this Crimea War thing yeah. stuck in my head. Well, a lot of people think that because you're, you're actually right to a point. So during the 1950s... 1950s? The 1850s, sorry. Yes, I'm 100 years ahead of myself. During the 1850s, the garrison, uh, it did expand very quickly. Uh, thousands of troops came in because... Uh, you know, we were sort of holding point before going off to the war. And uh, so they put up wooden barracks, temporary barracks, on Ordnance Field. And Middlewick Farm uh, was used for as a training area, which we now would refer to as the ranges out there, wouldn't we? Near uh, the co-op, the old co-op. It's a, it's a yeah, little or an Aldi little now. Aldi, yeah. And so the army was starting to adopt much of the land between the town and the coast a few miles away. It was becoming definitely so an army town. You mentioned Ordnance Field, yeah. and I've just asked Dr. Google where that is in town, and he doesn't seem to know. So, listeners, if you have the answer, please contact us. We would love to hear your responses as to where Ordnance Field was. Yeah, you can get us on Facebook or Twitter. We're at Box39. Uh, you can't ring him the uh, phone in the studio because it appears not to be working. But uh, don't get, get contact us on Facebook or Twitter. Anyway, so have you got I, any thoughts? Well, I think yeah, I think it's what we would know, and many listeners would know today is the Red Wreck, and uh, there's a bit more land running south. So come out of the Red Wreck by that big traffic lights, jump across down towards Bourne Mill. I think it's pretty strategic area, wasn't it? You got fresh water there. You're away from town, um, but close enough to be able to. You could generate significant shipping up the river Colne. there was a lot of shipping up there and a lot of money a lot of money for businesses within the walls of culture so you got like tailors and uh, food suppliers and and bits and pieces for horses and stuff like that so absolutely that's yeah, right and and, and, uh, and uh, nice ladies yeah that as well <laughs> lots and, of uh, nice ladies well i have to say as a slightly just to mention this there's a pub in colchester called the New Inn, the old New Inn. It's an award-winning pub in South Street. If you go back in historical records, above the pub, there, uh, behind the pub, at the back of the pub where there's now a TV room, there were stables. And above the stables was where there were two rooms which were described in the uh, 1851 census as being for the maids and friends of the soldiers. Oh, yes, wow. it was a, a business. A bus it was a business premises. How very descriptive. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. If I can get back on the track of... Uh, yeah, sorry about that. I go straight up there. Uh, yeah, know. I mean, uh, uh, with the legacy of the road names in Newtown and the purchase of Middlewick Farm, the development of Colchester and the shape of the modern garrison is starting to happen. Yeah, it's true. And uh, as we all know, nice girls love a soldier. And so did the breweries, meat and dairy producers, and as Bill said, the tailors of Colchester. The British Army was starting to become a very important part of Colchester once more. It was. So let's, uh, let's pop down again to see adrian he says he's ready we've got a little sign from him he's waved his little buzzer and so adrian down there in the music library uh, let's hear from you again now please Help with the love. 
so the connection to Colchester Garrison here is the title of this song by XTC, which is Sergeant Rock is going to help me. Sergeant Rock, yes, that's right. This is what most people would consider to be a tenuous connection to the garrison. So I thought I'd run through the ranks of the British Army, from bottom to top, starting with the NCOs. The most junior rank is Private. Then we have Lance Corporal, and then Corporal, and then Sergeant, and then Staff Sergeant. And then we have Warrant Officer Class 2 and Warrant Officer Class 1. That's the lot as far as the NCOs are concerned, and now we run through the commissioned officer ranks from the most junior to the most senior. The most junior is second lieutenant. Then you have lieutenant, captain, major, lieutenant colonel, colonel, brigadier, major general, lieutenant general, and then general. There's also the rank of Field Marshal, but the British Army doesn't have Field Marshals in peacetime. It used to be a ceremonial rank for retiring Chiefs of the General Staff, but no longer. Now, as for Sergeant Rock, uh, I've always assumed he was in the Army, but of course he might be in the police. burst into flames. The pilot must be rescued. But fortunately, it's only part of a display at the Army Firefighting School at Colchester. Although it's a demonstration, the fire is real enough and is dealt with by the latest type of equipment. The special foam is a mixture of ox blood, hoof and horn meal mixed with water and air and adheres to vertical and smooth surfaces. The Army Firefighting School is the largest of its kind in the world and the men it turns out are ready at all times to go anywhere and tackle any kind of fire. The annual loss by fire in the United Kingdom alone is over 18 million pounds, so there's always plenty of room for more experts in firefighting. Box 39? What's in it then? Listening to the wonderful sound of the house band of Guppy Productions here at Box 39, Ausgang Exit, and this is Parade Ground Pleasure Picnic. Great song, great music. Now you are listening to our, our, our show. It's brilliant, it's awesome, and it's all about the Colchester Garrison. And uh, we are joined also by listeners. We have received a text, and it's from Donna. From Norwich, she's texting in to say she loves the new Colchester Garrison, and she's got many friends there, and uh, she's visited Colchester many, many times over the years, and she's often eaten in the officers' mess, and afterwards she's helped the officers to polish their rifles. She continues as she's always been impressed how well the officers can handle their privates, even after everyone's had a full evening of food and drink. And she ends by saying that the Colchester Garrison is one of her favourite places to play snooker. The the tables are smooth, apparently, and the cushions are firm. That's nice, isn't it? Thank you very much, Donna. Yeah, well, we've uh, chatted a little about the development of the garrison, but what of its legacy when it uh, came to the architecture of the town? Which of you two has a favourite army building? Well, I do. Can I start? Yeah, well... Go on, will that, yeah. On, Just yeah. this well, one. Well, this is a, this is a building start. that I know very well, intimately, you might say, because it's my house where I live, uh, where I live with my uh, eldest daughter at the moment. And uh, it was built by the army. Wow. It's an original officer's house, built by the army in 1931, um, just off the, what was then the original old garrison, uh, because officers couldn't live too close to the men. That would be tawdry and unacceptable. 
Um, so that's that. I love that. It's a it's a it's a 1931 semi-detached house. Obviously, they built the other half of the semi-detached as well. But you don't live in the other half. Not yet. I mean, I have ambitions, but not yet. <laughs> <laughs> so, is it robust, practical? It's incredibly strong. Yeah, it's very good uh, and very practical, very well built. And uh, but what they didn't want to do is they didn't want to encourage any forms of slacking from the officers and not getting on with their work. So they refused to build double bedrooms. They're all one and a half size bedrooms. I've got three bedrooms, but they're all what they call one and a half size because a double bedroom would have just induced soldiers, officers to lie around with each other, not uh, not getting on with their work. So they believed uh, if the beds were a little bit smaller, they wouldn't they wouldn't be uh, encouraged to lie down together and and not concentrate on their army work. So a large bedroom leads you to turn into a three-toed sloth. Is that what you're saying? Uh, yes, that's in the a, eyes that's of the very, British Army, that's a very good way, a very good euphemism for what I was avoiding saying. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> not only that, it must be very difficult to buy uh, one and a half size beds. It is. What I tend to do is I buy a half a bed uh, yeah. and then put it next to a whole bed, and then uh, I've got a one and a half beds. And you haven't thought about knocking a wall through so you could get a king size. Oh no, no, no! The walls are made very, very robustly. Yeah. No, you know you'd need. And the very, it's a very strong house. So uh, to keep keeping to the point, do do you feel like you're in the barracks? It's so near. It is near, uh, but they have moved the barracks now, so I'm all right. But uh, it's right at the back of an ex barrack pub. A pub that was built as what well, not as a pub but as a beer house. It used to be um, before pubs, you could have a, a pub, but you or an inn which would sell um, spirits. But they would be what was just known as a brew house, which would just sell cheap beer, a bit like a takeaway, a bit like an old fashioned. Uh, what do they call it back in the seventies and eighties? You turn up with your jug and an get old it filled. Tap. Yeah, what were those things called? Open in the evenings. You mean an off-license? An off-license, that's it. How very modern of you to forget that. (laughs) So you turn up at this pub that uh, is just next door to me with your big uh, big barrel or jug of beer and just walk back no more than about 50 metres back into the barracks. The squaddies would do that. And, of course, the officers would gaze out of their one-and-a-half-bedroom-sized windows uh, at them doing that. Yeah, Yeah, fantastic. Meanwhile... um uh, that's very interesting and a lot of new information, but I didn't quite appreciate your very specific connection with the Colchester Garrison history. Thank Ian, you. What about you? Well, my first sort of run-in with army buildings was when my kids were members of the 26th um, Sea Scouts, uh, and they were actually based in clinker-built wooden structures which were opposite what was the arena site um, on Abbey Fields. Now the site, were, in fact, it was the first bit of new build on the uh, the old garrison site. So it's now a block of flats overlooking the cricket pitch. Oh. Um, and my second was um, the conversion of what is now my doctor's surgery uh, at Crefield Medical, now the home of Crefield Road Surgery, um, Layer Road and North Hill, uh, which has become a beautifully finished one-stop medical centre. It is nice, isn't it? It's I, I've very often nice. gazed at that in admiration. It's lovely. Yeah, yeah it's, it's so nice actually to see what were, as you say, Bill, very robust and uh, beautifully built uh, structures yeah. retained and adapted for, for the modern world. And it's next door to the old army school as well, isn't it? The old army primary school. Yes, indeed, yeah. It's been yeah. turned into a five bedroom house. Five bedroom house, yes. I'm, I'm not sure what I can sort of my proceeds will run to <laughs> purchasing anything of that nature, but there you go. Now, look at the time, gents. We must move on. Oh, okay. oh, yes. Anyway, that's that's mine. So, Mike, what's your favourite? Oh, definitely the old camp church. I didn't realise you are a religious man, Michael. No, well, I love the building and the concept behind it. The concept of a flat pack church. That's very Scandinavian, isn't it? That sort oh, of thing, yeah. I think it might have been an early uh, IKEA <laughs> prototype, actually. Uh, so, where is that then? Well, where is what, what was that built for? Well, it was initially built uh, as a hospital, similar to those shipped in prefabricated sections to Florence Nightingale at Scutari and Balaclava. It was built in 1854 and is the oldest surviving garrison building. Yep, still standing and still being used. It is. Yeah, but it is uh, no longer the church for the garrison. Uh, it's now home to the parish of St John the Wonder Worker, the parish of the Diocese of Great Britain and Ireland in the Russian Orthodox Church outside Russia with a new camp church having been built on the St. Michael's estate. 
Well, look, that's very, very interesting. And, and unfortunately, the clock has built us again there. But all I can say in a, uh, 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 that we're going to have another listen to uh, Adrian. But this time, he's going to tell us about the army and the garrison where he is. And where he spent a lot of his time in Indonesia. Off you go, Adrian. There are about 300,000 military personnel in the Indonesian army, but unlike the British army, which is gathered in a relatively small number of bases in garrison towns across Britain, like Catterick, Aldershot, and of course Colchester, the Indonesian army has bases in hundreds of towns right across the archipelago. The National Army of the Republic of Indonesia was created and legalized by the Declaration of Independence in August 1945, a few days after Japan surrendered, which set in motion a rather asymmetrical war between Indonesia and their former colonial masters, the Netherlands, who wanted to pick up from where they'd left off when they'd been unceremoniously booted out of the Dutch East Indies by the Japanese in 1942. In this war of independence, the Dutch were never really strong enough to stop the Indonesians from just getting on with running their new country, and the Indonesians were never really strong enough to get the Dutch to go away. The Indonesians also did not have enough money to finance their new Republican army. So, the army positioned itself in towns and cities up and down the country in countless bases, barracks and garrisons, and they went into business in all manner of ways in order to finance their military activities. These military activities included suppressing any rebellions against the new central government regime, which was happening across Java but was happening even more frequently on the other islands. There were also different ideological groups vying for the freedom to act and the freedom to create an alternative to the regime in Jakarta. With the National Army, loyal to Jakarta, camped out and wheeling and dealing in almost every town across the nation, the unity of the state, as Jakarta wished to have it, was assured thanks to the scattered and integrated military power. And countless army bases from that era still exist today, in hundreds and hundreds of what I suppose we can call garrison towns. And although since 20 years ago, officially speaking, the army was no longer permitted to run enterprises, it is still omnipresent and ever-present, with almost all Indonesian urban dwellers, rather like the people of Colchester, no more than a couple of kilometres away from the nearest army barracks. It's a song by the Cocteau Twins from 1990, and as with almost all their songs, it is nigh on impossible to figure out what lyrics Elizabeth Fraser is singing. 
But as I did my research for this show, I realised that this song is about the old garrison church in Military Road, which was built in 1854 and is the oldest surviving garrison building. Because the song was written almost 30 years ago, it doesn't mention the fact that garrison services were transferred to a new church built on the St. Michael's estate behind the community centre. The old garrison church was a former Crimean War era hospital, similar to those that were shipped in prefabricated sections to Florence Nightingale at Balaclava. With Russia now having annexed the Crimea, it is a nice touch that Elizabeth Fraser is actually singing this song in standard 19th century Russian which I plan to look into as it may explain why I can't understand any of the lyrics on the Cocteau Twins 1990 album Heaven or Las Vegas. Hello, I'm Bill Lawrence and this is my Big Bag of Onions. Bill's Big Bag of Onions is on Colm Radio every Sunday from 10pm to midnight and again on Monday nights from midnight to 2am. The fragments of spoken words are his onions. Crafted eclectic music provides his big bag. And Bill is the only broadcaster in North East Essex who could be bothered to do it. Bill's Big Bag of Onions. Late night dreamscape radio for any time of the day. Here we are once more with Ouse Gang Exit, and they are fishing for kippers with Sergeant Smith. Now we are here talking about Colchester Garrison on this show, and uh, uh, today the garrison extends in a multi-billion pound new complex to the south and to the east of Colchester. So, Ian... About that modern garrison. Well, that's a question I actually want to throw back at you two. So, what what are your thoughts on the modern garrison? I mean, we've talked about its development over the last two thousand years or so. So, what are your thoughts on its new location, style of buildings, mm. all of that I, stuff? Well, Mike, do you mind if I jump in there? Because well, I said, the, yeah. really, the most positive thing that can be said about it, it's functional, isn't it, for the current time. Oh well, anything? Well, the red brick garrison buildings were functional during their time. That's but, true, but. Much more aesthetically pleasing. Uh, it's a start. Yeah, you're or right, rather. No, I think you're right. I think they are. Um, the new site may be filled with a series of boxes and tubes that resemble well-distributed Lego pieces, but there is space for, you know, those huge monstrous vehicles used by the army to access the site with ease. And the accommodation is now fit for human habitation, which it was claimed it definitely wasn't, when there were lots of those pretty red brick Victorian buildings of the old garrison. Yeah, well. Like every good landlord, you need to maintain and develop your stock of buildings. If you can't do that, eventually you're forced to rebuild. So, who designed and built the new garrison over the last 15 years? Anyone got any clues? Yeah, they're called RMPA Services. It's a consortium, the usual thing. Builders, bankers, government, army, uh, Sir Robert McAlpine, Sodexo, HSBC infrastructure, the whole mob. Uh, I'm impressed. You're so uh, knowledgeable, Bill. Um, uh, and uh, what I know is was it was one of the largest defence PFI projects. That means it was part built by the government, part built by private businesses. Yes, I think we stopped there with PFI. Well, unfortunately, those letters PFI aren't always viewed positively, especially in relation to uh, yeah. hospital buildings. So, so well, we mustn't talk about that at the moment. What was the reasoning behind where it was placed? Why was it built further out of Colchester? Um, well, my understanding is that the land was already owned by the army, simply a massive upgrade of facility, and that by leaving behind those old Victorian garrison buildings and releasing pockets of land around the wonderful Abbey Field... Yeah. Um, basically where the original garrison was uh, built a new urban village could be created in the centre of Colchester so has that been achieved? has uh, what's been achieved well, by doing this? up to a point up to a point certainly I mean it depends what you mean by which bit the garrison or the urban village 
Well, the, no, no, what have they achieved building this new garrison? Well, in all honesty, you need an aerial shot to see the full extent of the new 21st century garrison. Yeah. yeah um, well, there are two distinct parcels of land on either side of Beerchurch Road, which are joined by a bridge. Where, where is that bridge? Over Beerchurch Road. Yeah, about well, halfway down. That's an obvious question, but I can't picture it myself. <laughs> Halfway down. Well, how did you know about it then? Anyway, there are 137 new facilities spread across a huge 185 hectare site. Well, I'm not going to let it go. The thing about the bridge (laughs) is that it keeps garrison traffic off the public roads. Yeah, true. It does indeed, yeah. And the plan, the plan, or my understanding of it, is that it was meant to resemble a campus-style development to meet the Army's future needs while satisfying those wonderful criteria um, of affordability... Yeah. And, uh, yeah, future-proofing. And just to get some figures in, the modern facilities of uh, 3,500 military personnel <laughs> and 700 civilian staff. Well, there yeah. you go. Yeah. And, just like the camp church, there's an element of the uh, flat pack about it, as the use of standardised standardized design allowed high-quality accommodation units to be assembled off-site before being transported in and completed on-site. And this meant cost savings and reduced construction times. So oh, I wonder if they uh, arrived in cardboard boxes with one page of badly photocopied instructions. And was there an Allen key missing? But at least we know that bridge, of course, is called the Camulogenum Bridge. <laughs> Thank you, Bill. You sure about that, Bill? Yeah. Emptiness don't stop the longing Something new or something old I'm on my way to understanding Things that I might yet not know In the dark night of the soul In the dark night this song from Van Morrison's latest album goes out to all the inmates at the Glass House in Colchester, where, we are led to believe, having access to only Cone Radio is part of the British military's harsh punishment regime. With its high fences, tight security and military regime, it looks and sounds very much like a prison. The Ministry of Defence says that it's not. Officially, it is known as the Military Corrective Training Centre, and it's where all those found guilty of breaking military law are sent. Military prisons were first established in 1844. All would become known as the Glasshouse, after the military prison at Aldershot, which had a glazed roof. Now, the site at Colchester in Essex is the only one of its kind in the UK. It can house up to 284 detainees, and about a thousand members of the three branches of the military pass through its gates every year. Rather be at home with the wife and kids? Would you now? Yes, sir. Right, off you go. Now, everybody else happy with my little plan of marching up and down the square a bit? Sarge? Yes, 
I've got a book I'd quite like to read. Right, you go read your book then. Now, everybody else, quite content to join in with my little scheme of marching up and down the square. Now, what about the rest of you? Rather be at the pictures, I suppose. Right. All right, off you go. Bloody army, I don't know where it's coming to. Right, Sergeant Major marching up and down the square. Curtis to Barracks, 2,500 men of the 19th Infantry Brigade weigh out, one plane load at a time, to fly to Libya in the biggest peacetime airlift of British infantry. The contingent includes men of the Devonshires, the Royal Artillery, and the Highlands Light Infantry. Part of the jabs to keep away tropical diseases, and then they'll be all set for the 800-mile journey. At Lynham, Hastings aircraft of the RAF Transport Command load on 42 men per plane. Complete with kit, they average around 240 pounds. Since it was formed 18 months ago, the brigade has spent only three months in barracks. There are 80 or 90 plane loads to get away. It's box 39. And this is our last piece of music from the wonderful Afghan exit and this is called More Squaddies Eating Sushi. listening to box 39 our colchester garrison special and we've been joined by listeners from all over the world in fact who've texted in talked to us about the garrison and their memories of it including uh, another text from donna there in norwich who says she's enjoyed herself so much at colchester garrison over the years made so many friends that she's made a charity calendar with all the boys and girls there and each month has donna wearing a full camouflage and she's hidden in a different picture sort of where's wally type thing i think so for example in january she's hidden somewhere on the uh, on the army cricket pitch in march she's hidden in the army uh, firing ranges at fingering ho and in september she's behind the parade ground watching the colonel and all the grenades go off there so ian what have we been doing then well this evening we've spoken about the development um, of the garrison here in colchester the content has been factual and we hope of interest, as well as fun, if not amusing, in places. That's right. The garrison is a very big part of life here in Colchester. The only Victorian garrison, built as one of the four main British garrisons when the army was reorganised after the Crimea War, and created by the same teams of architects, engineers and builders that constructed Liverpool Street Station in London. Uh, now clean and tidy housing for civilians. Yeah, let's just listen a little bit more because this is a really new piece from Ausgang Exit and uh, I really think we should listen to this.
So that was absolutely brilliant, as they say in Seattle. Awesome and brilliant. And uh, we just needed to give that bit an extra bit of play. To be frank, it's in their contract. We can't do anything about it. And, uh, Mike, you're the one that pays the contract, so this oh, was yeah. for you, really. I be looking at the uh, detail and the legal uh, conditions after the show. But anyway, it isn't It isn't unusual, is it? Let's get back to the, well, the topic of uh, the garrison. It well, isn't unusual, is it, to see these slow convoys of mighty army trucks, and they, they grind their way across town, don't they, uh, up off to the A12. And uh, it's quite often that we see the red-capped military police ensuring relations between army and town are kept sweet and and not sour. Yeah. Currently, Colchester Garrison is home to the 16th Air Assault Brigade, which was involved in many tours of duty in the recent past in Afghanistan's Helmand province, with two or three para as the fighting nucleus of that force. Yeah, the part played by the UK's military in Afghanistan since 2001 has brought with it a heavy human toll. Members of the Army, RAF, Royal Marines and Special Forces have lost their lives in the fight against the Taliban, and a significant number of these have come from the forces based in Colchester Garrison. The number of deaths stand at 456. And the consequences of these deaths on the families and the friends and the communities of those individuals and the community, the wider community here in North East Essex, is really incalculable, as are the daily struggles of those who may have survived but are injured in body or in mind. We who live in Colchester see the training, the uniforms and a certain confident swagger. Our soldiers' lives are not, though, played out on games consoles. There is no end that can be rebooted and restarted. And the three of us would like to take a moment to remember those that have died and been injured doing the job they were called to do. To reflect on their sacrifice and the bravery it takes to step out of a safe place and put yourself in harm's way to do a day's work. And to imagine a better, safer and more peaceful future for us all. Box 39 here on Cone Radio. Be seeing you.